I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. And here's the miraculous and key part of the story that we should love to tell. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 9. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his garment as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. That's why we're here, church, to worship him. And to expand on that, this resurrection Lord's Day, to expand on the line I've quoted from the hymn, I love to tell the story because I know tis true. This Resurrection Lord's Day and all the other 364 days in a year, there are three sets of polar opposites when Christ's resurrection is considered. Ready? Even in the Bahamas, there are three types of polar opposites going on even as I preach. Polar opposites, number one, those who question Christ's authority and those who accept Christ's authority. Polar opposites, two, those who deny the bodily resurrection and those who believe in the bodily resurrection. And polar opposites, three, those who disbelieve the Christian scriptures and those who believe the Christian scriptures. Let's begin with polar opposites, one, those who question Jesus' authority and those who accept his authority. Ahead of time, more than once, the Lord Jesus made reference to his death and to his bodily resurrection. John 2, verses 18 to 22, is one such reference. The context of these verses is that Christ had violently cleansed the Jewish temple on Good Friday. He had forcibly evicted the profiteers who were making more money than they were offering God prayers. Hot on the heels of driving out those hucksters out of a holy place, we get the action which is described for us in our passage, John 2, 18 to 22. Those who had dropped their mouths open in shock, having seen Jesus meek and mild become Jesus' search and destroy, essentially asked Christ, who do you think you are? 
Put another way, they challenged our Lord, prove your authority. Verse 18, John 2. And the Jews therefore answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us seeing that you do these things? What sign do you show us seeing that you do these miracles? You need to know that sign was a technical term. It meant something very specific to the Jews back then. A sign for them was an authority-proving miracle. And so they asked him, what authority-proving miracle do you do to demonstrate and authenticate your authority? There may be some persons here in the sanctuary or in the EWA or on the internet watching this live stream who are asking something like the surprised Jewish onlookers who asked Jesus after he kicked the greedy guys out of the temple some questions. They asked Christ, are you who you say you are? And does Jesus really have a claim on me and my future? And is Jesus' authority Still around today, we might say, in our scientific and our sophisticated world. I promise you, I will come back to answer those three questions in this message. But for now, we have been considering the first polar opposites. Questioning Jesus' authority and accepting Jesus' authority. I just wonder on Resurrection Lord's Day 2021, today, where do you stand? Questioning or accepting Jesus Christ's authority? Let's move from polar opposites one to polar opposites two. Those who deny bodily resurrection and those who believe in bodily resurrection. Look at 19 to 21 in John 2 with me. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews therefore said, it took 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? 21, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Here our Lord Jesus uses a paradoxical saying. It was veiled and at the same time it was a pointed remark. It was like a riddle. Essentially, the Savior was comparing his own physical body to the Jews' physical temple. The word translated destroyed from the Greek could either mean to demolish a building or to kill a human life. Same word. And on top of the word destroyed having two meanings, there were two different Greek words which both are translated temple. Greek heron means the whole temple complex, the buildings and the courts. And it is heron, which is used in John 2, 14 to 15, which we haven't read yet, but not used in our passage. Heron is not used in John 2, 19 to 21. Why? Because there's another Greek word that translates temple, and it is Naus, naus. This word means just the holiest place within the temple. Naus means just the holiest place in the temple. And naus 
is used three times in the verses we are considering today. I want to read verses 14 and 15, which we haven't read yet, and verses 19 to 21, which we have already read, with these Greek dictionary differences of meaning. You ready? 14. And he found them, the hucksters, in the whole temple complex who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated. Verse 15. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the whole temple complex with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and turned over their tables. Verse 19. Contrast. Different Greek word for temple. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy Kill my human life, which is the holy of holies in the temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 20. The Jews therefore said, it took 47 years to build this holy of holies, and you will raise it up in three days? 21. But he was speaking of the holy of holies of his body. With those carefully chosen words. Jesus was claiming to be God. If you ever hear somebody say that Jesus never claimed to be God, you can go to many places in the New Testament. You could go here. He called his body the Holy of Holies. The Jews who heard his words that day totally missed the mark. (laughs) They were so smart, they were stupid. They missed it all together. Here was Jesus being the very holy of holies, and yet it was lost on them. Verse 20. And the Jews therefore said, it took 46 years to build this naus, and you will raise it up in three days? Jesus Christ being the holy of holies in his body, in his incarnation, being 100% God and 100% man, went right over their heads. They were too educated to have understanding. Jesus standing before them near their hand-built temple while being being the incarnate temple was not at all understood. Jesus soon being crucified and then bodily being resurrected went right by them like a car speeding on JFK to the airport when you were doing the speed limit. It went right on by them. Of course, the Old Testament scriptures taught bodily resurrection all over the place like Daniel 12 verse 2 and Job 19 verses 25 to 6 and so many other places. And yes, there were places in the Old Testament that even predicted the Messiah's bodily resurrection from the dead. So these followers of Jesus ought to have known better. These students of the law, these scribes of the scriptures of the Jewish Old Testament should have realized this and believed it. You do know, I hope, that The majority this morning of non-Christians deny the bodily resurrection of Christ. They laugh at it. They don't accept it. Atheists believe that when they die, they no longer exist. Agnostics believe there might be something after their death for them. 
Buddhists believe in multiple reincarnations to work off bad karma. Muslims believe that they will move to a final maturity, much like children develop over time. Sikhs believe in the merging back into the universal nature just as a drop of rain merges back into the ocean. Sikhs believe that all individuality is lost forever after death. Hindus believe in reincarnation. That is, they believe in many deaths so that the soul of the person repeatedly passes into new bodies and into new lives that bad karma has to be worked off, they believe. And so it's possible for a Hindu to believe that a person dying with bad karma comes back, for instance, as a rat. Oh, yes, those who are not Bible-believing, born-again Christians mock at the concept of bodily resurrection, but bodily resurrection is what the scriptures teach, and bodily resurrection is what our Lord and Savior experienced. Amen? Amen. We as Bible-believing Christians expect bodily resurrection. We know it's true. We bank everything on it. We look into open graves to receive the caskets of our loved ones who died in Christ with a whole different outlook than the person who cannot or will not believe in the bodily resurrection. We as believers take Hebrews 9, verse 27 at face value, which says, inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after comes judgment. That's what we believe. No reincarnation, no multiple chances at it. We believe that human beings die once and then their bodies are resurrected, either resurrected to life because of Christ or resurrected to damnation because of rejecting Christ. That's what we believe. We believe that if you're only born once, you have to die twice. You have to die physically and you have to die eternally. And contrary and opposite side of the coin, we as believers believe if you're born twice, you only die once. If you're born and then born again, you only have to die once, physically, maybe. 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 If you happen to die before the rapture. (laughs) This morning, a resurrection Lord's Day, Wherever you're listening to the word of God, don't look at a preacher. He's hidden behind the cross. But hear the voice of the risen Savior saying to you, he's calling you, come to me in faith. Believe in me to be your sin remedy. Trust me and only me to make you right with my father and your father. Run from whatever else you might be trusting in to make you okay with God, your performance, your good deeds, your religion, your church, your parents, your grandparents, your wife, and come to Christ. He says, come to me. Come to me. It's an individual decision. No one can make the decision for you. You have to understand that you are a sinner tainted by sin in every fabric of your being. And that you cannot atone for or pay for your sin with anything you would do because it says in Scripture that all our good works are as filthy rags. But Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. 
Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. If you have never been washed as white as snow, oh, may this resurrection Lord's Day be the day you are. May you transfer your trust to the finished work of Christ, finished as evidenced by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He was delivered up for our transgressions. He was raised for our justification. Be justified in Christ today. Trust him and only him. He'll save you. And not just for today, a special day, and not just for this year, and not just for the rest of your life. He'll save you eternally. He will give you, he will cancel hell for you. (laughs) Oh, the most important decision you could possibly make, don't defer it. Today is the day of salvation. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. I may not have tomorrow. Trust Christ. We will all be judged individually in two very different judgments. The Christian, the born-again person, will be judged at the bema, the judgment seat of Christ, not for heaven or hell, that's settled, but for reward or non-reward based on the ministry service we did for Jesus. Not the quantity of it, but the quality of it. And as we stand before Christ as a born-again, saved believer, one by one, he will either grant to us rewards or he will burn up the works we did for him in his name that looked good from the outside but were done with the wrong motivations. No reward. Heaven, but no reward. J. Vernon McGee said out of this fiery judgment for believers' evaluation, he says, some Christians are going to make heaven for sure, but they're going to smell mighty smoky. Don't smell smoky. (laughs) Whatever you do for Jesus Christ, do out of love. Whatever you do for Jesus Christ, do out of his power, not yours. Whatever you do for Jesus Christ, do for his glory, not your credit. That's rewardable. The other kind of judgment is not for the born-again Christian, but it's for the unredeemed, the lost, the person who never takes Christ as Savior before physical death. The great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, 11 to 15, it's great because it's the most profound and weighty judgment of any judgment. It's white because the judge who sits upon the throne is pure and holy, Jesus Christ. And those who did not trust him as savior before the buzzer sounded and they died will appear before him at the great white throne judgment one by one by one. And books will be opened, the verses say, and deeds that... uh, grieved God, that went against God's character, sins of all sorts, will be in those books. And Jesus Christ, the righteous judge, will individually mete out judgment, degrees of punishment in hell, in the lake of fire, based on the deeds that are written in the books, the evil deeds that are written in the books. But the verses say, in contrast, there is a book called the book of life. And those persons whose names are written in the book of life aren't at the great white throne judgment. They're exempt. Be exempt. Trust Christ. So far in John 2, 18 to 21, we have noted two polar opposites, one centering on the authority of Christ and one centering on the bodily resurrection of Christ. And the third and the final last polar opposite is those who believe the Christian scriptures and those who don't believe the Christian scriptures. 
I have a question for you. When exactly did Jesus' first disciples believe the Old Testament scriptures? I'll tell you, after he rose from the dead. That's when they believed the Old Testament scriptures. Verse 22, John 2. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed the scripture. Another question. What caused those first believers, these disciples, to ultimately confirm in their own minds that Jesus' words were God's words? Scripture did. Again, verse 22. From when, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. The Scripture. He spoke Scripture. All the red letters in your red-letter Bibles are Jesus speaking Scripture. And so a personal question. And I'm not assuming that everybody listening to this will answer this yes. Personal question. Do you believe the scriptures to be the true words of God? Are you building your life and your eternity on the promises of the Bible? Are you living as though the scriptures are authoritative with respect to your life, your marriage, your work, your thought life, your behaviors, your words? You must believe the scriptures are authoritative over you in every way when you're a Jesus follower. Someone has said, and I appreciate that they did, that one way to understand the Bible is the acrostic B-I-B-L-E. B for basic, I for instructions, B before, L for leaving, and E, earth. The Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. I like that. The Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. The truth and accuracy and authority of the scriptures are not optional for people who are truly saved in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' first followers, after his resurrection and ascension, they evangelized and they planted churches throughout the then-known world, and they willingly died vicious deaths. They believed the scriptures to be God's word and ultimate reality. And they got their posture of that belief and that life of being willing to be violently murdered for Christ's sake by facing the very authority of Jesus Christ. They got to be willing to follow him and serve him after his ascension by taking the scriptures as God's truth, by eyewitnessing their Lord and Savior's resurrection as a prototype of their own resurrections. They came to be willing to die for Christ, accepting bodily resurrection as their destinies. Really, I should point out that in getting Christ's resurrection right, we get Christ's authority right, and we get the Bible's authority right as well. Now, I'm going to circle back to the questions I raised near the beginning. Is Jesus Christ who he said he is? Yes. God, man, Messiah, 
holy of holies, victor over death, savior. Does Jesus Christ really have a claim on us and on our futures? Yes. He is Lord. He is sovereign. He is king of kings. <laughs> he is the only provided savior for the planet, for all of human history. Is Jesus' authority operative today in our scientific and sophisticated culture? Yes. He is truth that is unchanging. He is the one who tells us to come to him if we are weary and heavy laden. If there was ever a generation globally that is weary and heavy laden, it is our generation. And he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Your mattress can't give you the kind of rest you need. Your bank account can't give you all the rest you need. But Jesus can. He said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. What compassion. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We have had quite a few deaths in our church family in the last year, haven't we? We have looked into open graves, having had a graveside service with our loved one who died in Christ's body in a casket. Our thoughts have run through our minds as we looked on that scene. Our hearts have been broken and yet stirred. And as we looked into those graves, and as we will look into graves of those who will be promoted to heaven in the future, we must remember and believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is alive after his death. We must accept Christ's authority. We must believe in bodily resurrection, Jesus Christ first, and us as believers second. We must believe that the Bible, the Holy Bible, is God's bedrock, solid truth. John 2, 13 to 15 and 18 to 22, using the two different Greek words meanings, hiron and naus, 13, and the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the whole temple complex those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated, verse 15, and he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the whole temple complex with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their temples. Verse 18, the Jews therefore answered and said to him, what sign do you show us seeing that you do these things? Verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, destroy, that is kill me, this holy of holies, and in three days I will raise it up. Verse 20, the Jews therefore said, it took 46 years to build this holy of holies and you will raise it up in three days? 
but he was speaking of the holy of holies of his body. 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Crown him with many crowns. Crown him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave, who rose victorious in the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Let us pray. O oh Lord God, Christ is risen never to die again. Historically proven, practically hope-giving, we accept the Lord Jesus Christ's authority. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ's bodily resurrection. And we believe the Christian scriptures. And we accept and believe because of your amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. And God's people said, Amen.